I know a lot of you are seeking a higher quality of life, and I don't know anyone who wants the quality of their life to get worse. But that can happen when you're stuck in a rocky relationship or going through a difficult separation and divorce. My name's Liz Rankin, and I've created the Separation Fix with the intention of turning away from that mess and in the direction of a brighter future. I hope you find this episode interesting, and thanks for listening. Hi, Liz Rankin here. This episode of The Separation Fix is being recorded in April 2020 during the COVID-19 crisis. And if you're listening around that time, I really hope that you and those you care for are doing okay. For most of us, it's a really tough time. Although this crisis is much more extreme, I see a lot of parallels in what people are experiencing at the moment to what people experience when they separate or divorce. Firstly, in both situations, your life changes or has changed radically, and the future you planned can look so different. Your world may have turned right upside down. The second parallel is around emotions. During separation and divorce, feelings of overwhelm and uncertainty are so common, and that's the same for most of us right now. And another parallel is that a lot of parents are having to communicate and sort out so many practicalities while coping with their own intense emotions just like what happens when separated parents are trying to co-parent. So I thought it'd be really helpful to have a conversation with Peggy Cooper. As a divorce coach, Peggy knows a lot about supporting people through separation and divorce and the journey. She's also the co-founder and president of Divorce Training Inc., a firm based in Tampa, Florida, that certifies and conducts online training for people to become divorce coaches. I have great respect for Peggy, and I studied at CDC to add to my own skill set. So welcome, Peggy. Well, thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for joining me so much today for this conversation. How are you doing at the moment in this unprecedented situation? Well, you know, I think like many people, I have found that it's really an opportunity to kind of regroup and rethink a lot of things and to really think about what's important to me. And, you know, in divorce, that's one of the things that we do as divorce coaches is we really help our clients to focus on one thing, on the one thing that would really make the biggest difference for them as they begin to make decisions and move forward. And so rather than feeling overwhelmed by the multitude of everything that's going on right now, you know, like staying at home, face masks, not finding toilet paper, it just really lets you think about what is really most important. So I've decided what's most important for me is the health of myself and my loved ones. And so that's where I focus right now and all of the people that we work with as well. Some of that insight there you mentioned was from your divorce coaching background, and you're drawing on that experience there, and also a broader experience. What is your professional background connected to divorce coaching, Peggy? I was divorced <laughs> once, but more important than that, I, I experienced a lot of loss in my lifetime. Uh, I lost my mother when I was very young, and I lost a job or two along the way. I had a number of different health issues when I was young. I had polio and I wasn't able to run and play like all the rest of the kids. But I also have a business background and I work for mission-based organizations for about 15 years of my life. So I really began to see that relationships really make the difference. And so 
combined with my own experiences of loss and having to get over that feeling of being abandoned, or at least identifying what that feeling was, I began to really study how do you help people pull themselves up and really look at who they really are so that they can really acknowledge who they are when they're at their best and to use their skills and their talents to be able to move forward. You know, one of the things I say about divorce is you have three choices, right? You can let it define you, you can let it destroy you, or you can let it make you stronger. Now, I'm going to go for the making you stronger every time. When you're talking about those really personal stories, they all reminded me of what people are going through at the moment. Pretty much everybody, I think, is that people's worlds are turned upside down. Often in divorce, that's a person possibly who's left, but it is just a common experience that, as I said, pretty much everybody is going through. So do you think I'm correct in saying there are a lot of parallels between the emotions people are experiencing now and the separation divorce emotions? Oh, absolutely. I think you brought up three or four of the key things that I would say impact people. One is fear, overwhelm, uncertainty, but also there is the desire, there is the hunger right now to also reach out and connect or reconnect with people. Even when you can't do it face-to-face, you know, we're seeing a lot more interactions with people who normally don't interact because it's just easy to ignore people in your backyard, but now you want to reach out and you use the technology that we have available to us to make all kinds of connections. I've had five or six family Zoom calls in the last three weeks, and I, normally I see my family every six months. And I think that there's also a lot of organizations are reaching out to connect with people and to extend a certain generosity. You see that all over the internet with people having concerts in their living room for, for raising money for the people who are providing services, especially the healthcare services. I'm with you. I'm so heartened by the connectivity and the support people are getting. But one thing in stark contracts to separation divorce that I have really noticed is that what people are going through right now, similar to separation divorce, confusion of your finances, confusion about your future, just, you know, you're dumbfounded. But what's so different now is people are going through this horrible experience with support, whereas I feel in separation divorce, the key element that's missing is even if you have friends and family that love you, is the right support. So that's really another reason I want to talk to you about divorce coaching. Maybe even if you'd explain a bit about divorce coaching. Yeah, because everybody talks about now, we're all in this together. Whereas when you're divorcing, you say, I'm really in this by myself. I'm isolated and I'm alone. And so, yeah, I think it makes a big difference. So can I give you an example of how I engaged with a client that I think just sort of will show how divorce coaching works? So a client recently came to me and she told me that she was totally overwhelmed because her husband had come to her and said he wanted a divorce. So they were not only husband and wife, but they were also business partners. And she described to me all these physical symptoms. She couldn't sleep. She couldn't eat. She didn't know where to start. She didn't understand what to do about her role in the business. She didn't know how to tell the kids. She didn't know where she was going to live. She didn't know how to hire an attorney. And she didn't know whether she should be gathering the financial records or not. I could have been overwhelmed by that myself. But I just asked her one simple question. What actions has your husband taken since telling you that he wanted a divorce? It sounded like maybe he hired an attorney and sent her a notice and the attorney was waiting for something from her. And she said, he hasn't done anything. And then she went on to say, 
he just expects me to make it happen. Whatever he's decided is going to happen. So I said, I see. So you're going to make divorce happen and have him sign the agreement? Is that what you're going to do? So what do you want? Because now is a great opportunity for you to really identify what it is that you need as you move into your next chapter. What do you want for your kids? What do you want for yourself to make a good life after this? And she said, you know, I've been so busy thinking I was the one who had to do all of this. I said, well, you could create the agreement and just have them sign it and make it what you want. So a divorce coach is really a thinking partner and a sounding board, somebody that really has a different perspective on what's going on. And so they can help the client see that maybe there is a different perspective. When we get overwhelmed, we get kind of a tunnel vision. The spotlight is very narrow. We can only focus on so much. And so when you have a thinking partner, the thinking partner can invite you to step back, step forward into the future, look back on this and say, what is it that you want? What is it that you want in the future? What is it that you need to decide today so that you can make that happen? And so that, so we begin to walk down the path with the client to help them discover what it is that they most want, what is the best option for them, and help them to also identify where the pitfalls might be, where the obstacles might be, so you can help them maneuver around those obstacles. So it's not an advisor, because you know what happens if you tell someone what to do. Someone says, what should I do? And you tell them what to do. Do they do it? Never, because they don't want your answer. They want their own answer, but they come to you looking for their own answer, right? And so we make the mistake thinking, I have to give them an answer. But really, we have to walk with them down the path as a thinking partner, helping them to self-discover for themselves what it is that they want. As you know, Peggy, I do mediation as well. But what I really do like about divorce coaching is that the similarity I like with mediation is it's so interest-focused rather than positional. What I really like is working through clients' interests, you know, shifting them from their position to doing the visioning that you're sort of talking about, like rather than people coming and saying, I want the house, digging into why they want the house, getting broader about their future. And, you know, it's really interesting because the focus gets really narrow when you feel under duress and you have to make a decision. So they say, yes, I want the house. If you try to convince them that maybe that's not such a good idea, they're of course going to resist because that's the only solution that they can see. But when you ask the question, if you had the house, what would that mean for you, right? Well, that would mean that I stability for my kids and we'd have a place to live and we wouldn't have to leave the neighborhood. So there's a lot of needs that come out when you start to dig a little deeper. And as those needs come out, you begin to see, okay, hey, maybe there's some other ways to solve this, right? Is there any other way that you could stay in the neighborhood? Is there any other way that they could still walk to school? Or you begin to ask the real practical questions because divorce coaching is also very much where the rubber meets the road. So tell me about who takes care of your house now. You know, how do you get the lawn mowed? Who repairs the roof? Who does all those things that we all know is part of owning a house? don't really know how to do those things. See, I always take care of the inside or I always take care of the outside and somebody else takes care of the inside, whatever it might be. And so they begin to discover, as you ask some really practical, let's look at it on a day-to-day basis, they begin to realize, well, maybe it's going to be a lot of work. Is that how I really want to spend my time playing all the roles that you need to play in maintaining this big old house? Maybe not. So 
you know, you can begin to widen their view of what might be some other options. I enjoyed that article of yours that I read a little while ago as divorce coaching is a conflict dispute resolution tool. You can explain that a bit. Just how by being able to shift someone's position if they want to, it really opens up opportunities and makes the negotiation switch switch from that positional bargaining to interest-based bargaining. Once again, similar to mediation. And it's only with those big questions, sitting down with someone asking those questions, that that's going to happen. So one of the things that I notice, I think this is one of the differences between divorce coaching and mediation. When you're working with both people, you can't really advocate for one of the people, right? And generally speaking, when you have two people in front of you, I'm sure that you found this because many mediators have told me this, that somebody has more power than the other person. Somebody has more understanding. Somebody has more capacity than the other person. And they could kind of convince the person or run over them with a steamroller. Or the other person just isn't really equipped. And as a mediator, you can't really focus on that person and take them aside and help them to really dig deep and see what it is that they really do need and want or don't want. Well, there's a debate in the mediation world that, you know, can there be true power balances and all the tools to create balance? One thing I also like about divorce coaching is I actually think divorce coaching are great to prepare people for mediation. And another thing I just want to say about divorce coaching, which I think is really important and one of the things, the parallels that I wanted to get into, is that with all these emotions swirling around at the moment, you know, people are, I think the phrase they use in America a lot is sheltering safe, that everywhere everybody's really constrained. There are lots of couples bumping elbows, irritating each other, miscommunicating. So I thought it'd be useful to speak a little bit about what you teach in the program about what happens to the brain during conflict, because I know that's a subject that really interests you. And as I'm trying to bring things a little bit back to COVID-19 as well, and what people are experiencing at the moment, I was just thinking that would be useful. So I know that I was really greatly relieved when I learned that my brain works in a particular way and I can work harnessing its strengths, or I can kind of default to its normal way, you know, one way it goes. So our brain has got lots of different parts to it. It's got a really big rate of problem solving part, and it's got an emotional center. And then it's also got this survival brain, right? That's responsible for us actually being here as homo sapiens, right? And so it's sometimes referred to as the reptilian brain because it operates totally on instinct. And the instinct is survival. And that creates fight, flight, or freeze behavior. And so when the brain senses a threat, something that is a threat to its existence, and when we're talking about human beings, normally we're talking about identity threats, not real life, life or death threats. But when it senses that there's a threat, it just goes into fight and flight behavior. So it triggers something that disconnects it from the rest of the problem-solving part of the brain, and it just acts totally on instinct. And it moves very fast. It's a quick responder, and it doesn't really care about the other person. It only cares about being right or surviving or getting its way or retreating, you know, or hiding, right, or running away. And so it doesn't stand there and have a reasonable conversation. And yet, The brain is also saying, you have to make a decision and you have to make a decision now, right? So when somebody is telling you that you have to make a decision about a parenting plan, you make some very bizarre 
decisions because you're in kind of a crazy state. You're not really using your logical brain. You're only using your emotional brain. Most of us do make decisions based on emotions, but we use our logical part of our brain to kind of substantiate those decisions. And so the reptilian brain just gets triggered. A whole mass of different chemicals go through our body, and it takes a long time to shake those chemicals off. I was at an experiment once. I had no stake in this dogfight at all that was going on, but they kind of had this fake argument in front of this classroom. And I went, oh my goodness, I don't think this is what's supposed to be going on in the classroom. Oh my, oh my. And it took me almost an hour and a half to get rid of that feeling like, "Uh oh, something else is going to go wrong here. So that's the part of our brain that we have to recognize you know, really gets in the way. As coaches, we have to help our clients to manage that reptilian brain so that they can unhook themselves, right? Because often what has happened is that somebody has pushed a hot button. Now notice how we even describe that. Somebody else is aggressive to me and and they push my hot button, right? Actually, they didn't push your hot button. You pushed your hot button. They said something and you realize that, wait a minute, they don't see me the same way that I see myself, right? Like my identity is being threatened here. They don't see me as the competent person that I am. They see me as having to be told what to do or something like that, whatever your hot button is. And so you just kind of react. (laughs) You react because it's the first responder. And so you say something back, you go, how dare you? Just who do you think you are? And so you push their hot buttons, right? Or you trigger something that causes their hot buttons to respond, right? So you've got these dueling hot buttons, and that is what keeps conflict alive, are these dueling hot buttons created by our reptilian brains who are so concerned about protecting our identity and protecting our status or our certainty. You know, it depends on what your hot button is. You know, many people, for some people, it's status. Where do I fit into the pecking order here? For some, it's certainty. Am I in control of my future here? Which is a lot of what's going on now, the uncertainty. You know, autonomy, like they're part of the decision-making process and not being told what to do. Or relatedness, feeling like they belong. And fairness. And so those are just some examples of what are hot buttons for people when they feel as though those particular identities have been threatened, they go off the deep end. (laughs) They either get into fighting mode or they get into fleeing mode. That's a huge generalization. But do you think most people are aware of their hot buttons or their partner's hot buttons? Or how can you learn more about what your hot button is. I mean, it's crucial at the moment. We're all running, you know, once again, I want to get it back to separation, divorce, the parallels. I know when I went through my own separation, I learned so much about myself and that's the transformation part of it. So I think that one of the tools that you can use is, there is a wonderful online assessment called the SCARF assessment. It's uh, by David Rock, who's an Australian. He was a very early person in bringing together neuroscience and coaching. And so he's done a lot of work with the hot buttons. But you can also just really think about what is it that makes me react? And do you see any patterns in that? When somebody says something to me, what is it that makes me react? And then the goal would then be to recognize that. I call it my smart button. When somebody makes me feel stupid, my smart button gets pushed and I react. And I go, who do you think you're talking to anyway? It could be a competency. Tammy Lenski, 
who also works a lot with a hot button, with conflict, does identify C as competency in that whole thing. And there's no definitive set of hot buttons, right? You begin to recognize your own. When somebody tells me what to do, I react because I want to be part of that decision-making process. Once you recognize it and you go, oh, you know, I hate it. Every time I talk to this person and they start implying certain things about me, I just keep reacting. I've got to stop reacting. So you could just say, okay, this is one of my hot buttons. I always react to this. And now the only thing to do is to recognize that. And once you recognize it, that isn't what you really want. You don't want to defend yourself against this person who's not even really probably intending to push your hot buttons. What you really want to focus on is what do I really want to get out of this conversation? What do I really want to have happen here? And then you can pivot. Tammy Lenski describes it very nicely. She says, it's like you got your sweater hooked on a barbed wire fence. You have to unhook yourself from that barbed wire. You have to walk over, face it, and just unhook yourself, say, okay, that's it. Now focus on what it is that you want instead of what you don't want. So now you focus forward. What is it that I want to have happen? And what can I do right now to make that happen? So the other night I had one of these situations with my husband, right? And I just got so mad I was spitting nails. I decided I had to leave. My response was not to fight but to leave. So I went for a walk around the pond and I came back and I got on my exercise bicycle and did about 20 minutes on my exercise bicycle. And then I came back in and I said, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to blow up like that. You know, that's not what I wanted to have happen. Here's what I really want to have happen. I hope that we can figure out how to solve this problem because I know that the two of us together could probably really, you know, make it work out. And so, and that happens every day with people, especially when they're living together 24 hours a day. I think it's such a crucial thing for people to understand because divorce coaches do work in that pre-separation, pre-divorce phase. And it's something really productive you could do to either improve your relationship, avoid a separation, honestly, because so many separations are really just because the same argument goes round and round and never gets resolved. And finally, there's too much dirt under that mat and someone just throws in the towel. Or alternatively, you have so many conflicts after separation, you know, a typical reason to work out your hot buttons. You're separated and someone is, for example, bringing a child home late or not calling when they're supposed to. And that could be just so frustrating for a separated parent. If you could possibly understand either why that upsets you so much, for example, like maybe your hot butt might be about control or alternatively to understand maybe your partner's got an issue about control. I think actually for me anyway, that makes it a bit easier to cope with your own upset about the situation and also sometimes to come to a different approach to arrangements. I just think knowing your hot buttons is just a crucial, wherever you are on the relationship journey, it's just something that's, I think it's just vital. Absolutely. The other night in that situation I was telling you about, I realized what one of his hot buttons is. I could see it very clearly. He doesn't want people telling him what to do. And so, fine, right? Like now I know, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Let's just talk about this. Let's just share our ideas so that we can together can figure this out. And I realize at the same time, he's he's not trying to be right. He's not trying to control me. He's just trying to not himself be told what to do. He wants a say in the matter, which many of us want. I can now adjust myself so that I'm not reacting 
to that. I can just see that hot button. But I've had a lot of concentration on hot buttons. So you ask the question, can other people see them? And I think it's hard to do that unless you really work at trying to understand, unless you ask the question, you know, what is it that I said that caused that reaction? Because I want to know because that's not the reaction I want it to cause. So you have to be willing to sit down, but it's very hard to do that when you all these chemicals are kind of coursing through your veins, wanting you to punch them in the nose. <laughs> well, unfortunately, sometimes if people don't get on top in their separation and divorce, those hot buttons just play out for, say, two years in litigation. When you don't have the insight, when you've got your lizard brain is really more like a dinosaur brain, very big and angry. <laughs> And at the end of that process, when you finally cool down and, you know, all that cortisol and all the emotions are out of your body, you step back and you go, oh, I had a big hot button around control and I don't like being told what to do. So if people can, you know, either on their own at the moment, if they're not going through a divorce, look, you know, maybe spend some time looking at or alternatively, if they're in a separation with divorce goes, I just think it is just, it can save people, I personally think tens of thousands, even sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars getting on top of that one. Another thing I, I thought is a great tool that's from separation and divorce work and divorce coaching is the best self-exercise. I think that's a really great tool for helping someone through tough times. What do you think about that strategy, Peggy? Well, I think that sometimes we need to remind ourselves and we need to have the reminders. We need to remind our clients that they are really competent and confident and courageous. And so when we talk to them about who are you when you're at your best, they will tell you all of the things. And so we have to kind of be the touchstone for that, to remind them in that moments when the reptilian brain takes over, just ask the question, what would your best self do or, or what would you do if you were at your best in this moment? It's a contrast, right? It reminds them, ah, I, yeah, I'm not really at my best in this moment behaving this way, but here's what I would do instead. And often that's really important when we start talking about parenting during divorce, because parenting during divorce, you know, people need to be reminded about who they are when they're at their best as a parent. So they don't put the children in the middle. They don't use them. You know, they don't create conflict for the children, because children can do okay in divorce, as long as there's not that horrible conflict present, where they feel caught in the middle, and they are, you know, kind of torn apart. I think that's just really interesting talking about just tying that into your early discussion about, you know, what happens to the brain when it's in conflict, because none of us are perfect. You know, I'm a separated parent, I'm far from perfect. You know, for example, if your child witnesses a really big argument, before they go to school, just something really unhappy. Say this changeover is Monday morning and there's a problem at that moment. I have witnessed fights like this at, at drop-offs sometimes. The cortisol will start flooding, the adrenal will start flooding, and they have to go in the classroom and it's really hard for them to learn. And it's not to make anyone feel guilty. It's just to realize that little children also get all this flooding you know, of chemicals, of adrenaline and cortisol. And if they're exposed to that, it really can impact on their learning. And so best self-tool, I know I've used it, sometimes successfully, and it really has helped me, really has. I think that there's another tool that I really love to use, and it's one that focuses on the best self, but it's like if you draw a square and you were to divide it into quarters, and in one lower right-hand part, you put overwhelm and fear, right? And then in that box is all of the behavior that you see when you're in overwhelm or fear, which, you know, which might be 
feeling powerless or not having any clarity about anything or lack of confidence or just swirling, right? Like no focus. And then if you go to the upper right-hand quadrant, it would be like struggle and survival. So you put your nose to the grindstone, you do tedious projects, you never have enough time, and you're operating out of obligation and guilt. You know, that's not very fulfilling, right? And so we're kind of on the pain side of that box. If we move over to the other side, on the lower left-hand quadrant, we are in the escape and avoid part, right? So this is where people might engage in social drinking or recreational drugs or web surfing or gambling or just anything to escape. Escaping is okay as long as it's not your go-to place, right? But the upper left-hand corner is where that best self lies, right? Where you have clear purpose, focus on strengths, you focus on being your best, you focus on collaborating, you focus on communicating well. And so that's the place where your best self can live. It can't live in overwhelm and fear. It can't live in struggle and survival. It can't live in escape and avoid. So often we have to ask ourselves, where am I right now? (laughs) Where am I in that quadrant? Where do I want to be? And what do I have to do to get to that place so that I can be my best self? I can be enjoying things. I can be in action. I can be having fun, being joyful, because that joy doesn't live in any of those other places. And so, you know, we just have to be aware of how much time we're spending in each of those other places. It's not that you're never going to be in any of those places, because we all end up in one of those quadrants. But being intentional about choosing what actions you take so that you're not in the three that are not so productive, and you can spend at least some of your time being your best self. I'm going to have a look. Is there a name for that one, Peggy, that exercise? Or is that something you teach in your training? It's something we teach in our training, but we call it the pain, pleasure, procrastination, action grid. The dimensions are pleasure and pain. So that's left and right. And then bottom and top is the bottom one is procrastination and the top one is action. An important aspect of supporting divorcing clients is to help them to create this vision. We talked about earlier that vision and start planning, you know, practical steps. And at the moment, you know, there are many unknowns, but I do think there are questions we could start asking ourselves, you know, like what's important to you? Have you been spending time on what's important to you? what's not working, what's been working. Do you have any particular strategies or are you just asking yourselves a lot of questions at the moment? Well, I do want to focus on one thing because, you know, like there are lots of ways you get distracted. There's just a lot of different ways you could get distracted. But if you focus on that one thing and that becomes your umbrella, so it's kind of like, uh, what's your vision or what's your purpose or what's your, some people call it your why? What is your why? I'm really committed to people being able to use their strengths and to share them without hesitation. And to also, in this particular situation with the coronavirus, to also focus on what you can do to be healthy. If you make that your focus, all of the other decisions that you make need to support that, or at least need to support it most of the time. And so when you get that focus, that becomes your touchstone. What is it that I really want to focus on? So if you said, gee, I need to focus on keeping all the money I possibly can right now, because I don't know when the next money is going to come in, you may not be prepared for what happens on the other side of this, right? Because you just sort of hunkered down and you kind of hibernated. But if you think about, you know, where you want to focus your attention, 
maybe it's on rebuilding some of your friendships and relationships or your even your professional relationships. Think about how you can support other people because there's a certain reciprocity. I want to focus on that one thing that's going to be most important to me because I can get caught up in all of the rest of it, all of the other choices I could make. Well, it's a great idea too, thinking about that grid, you know, the procrastination, those things. It can really focus you. It can be like a North Star. So I think that's really a good idea. And um, I know you've written three books and one with Randy, your husband, who's also the co-founder of CDC and he's a mediator and he's also a certified divorce financial advisor, which we actually don't have in Australia. We don't have that qualification. But about those books, is there anything in any of those books that you would say could be a help during this really challenging time? Or are you going to stick with your mission vision statement? I think one of the things, and this was a life changer for us in writing this book, Divorce, Overcome the Overwhelm and Avoid the Six Biggest Mistakes. We knew all of the things that people did that weren't supporting them in their divorce process. And they all had to do with their mindset, right? And as we were putting them together in a book, I said, you know, we have to have this have some order so that it's got maybe some structure that people could really remember. We created from that, as we developed this book, we developed the five steps for clarity and action. And so, you know, the five steps are, what is that focus? Where are you going? And walking down the path, you know, identify the obstacles that, you know, that you might encounter to look at where you might be missing information where you might need to focus on your strengths, how you can be your best self during this process, how you can replenish your energy, develop resilience. So those are the five steps. And then, of course, the last step is what's the action that you're going to take? So it's uh, action-oriented. It focuses you on what's at the end of that path. It breaks it down into do you need expert advice or do you need information? Where can you get it? What's missing? Where can you get it? Do you have the resilience? How can you develop the resilience? And, you know, who are you being in this? Are you being your best? And so, you know, that really focuses your attention on what it is that you're doing, what you're focused on, and how you're walking down that path. And the book that we wrote is like a workbook. So it asks you the questions for each of the six biggest mistakes. So one of the six biggest mistakes is throwing in the towel. That's so opportune at the moment, isn't it? A lot of people must have be feeling that way. And when you throw in the towel, you basically say, I'm going to roll over and just let whatever happens, happens. That isn't going to go well in the long. That's the short-term solution for right now, just sort of like vegging out. <laughs> but it's not a good long-term solution. And so you could use this time productively, or you could let it just sort of pass by. And then in the end, you're kind of scrambling you know, now what am I going to do? So throwing in the towel, it invites you to ask yourself some questions, right? And so another one of the mistakes that people make is they want guarantees and certainty. They're not going to make any decision unless they have absolute guarantees or certainty. This whole coronavirus thing has been described as, I don't know if you've ever heard the term a black swan event. I'm sure you have because it comes from Australia. That concept comes from thinking there was only white swans in the world. What? What? In Australia, there are black swans. And so this is a black swan event, something that you had no concept that it could happen, and it did. So it sort of changes your whole world, turns your world upside down. But you can either keep allowing yourself to be unbalanced by that, or you can 
get yourself grounded, you know, get both feet on the ground and try to find a new balance so that you're not left using all of your energy to try to just stay go buffeted about by all of the chaos that's happening now. So you really want to be able to get your balance and put a stake in the ground for something rather than, you know, than expecting that there's got to be certainty before you can put that stake in the ground. You have to put the stake in the ground in the midst of all of the uncertainty. And that's what's so difficult for people, you know, in separation divorce, isn't it? Because they can't make decisions. They can get an offer. It could even be a great offer, but they just want to have such certainty around the future. They're just stuck. So I think that's a really good one to highlight. So are those in separate books, the six biggest mistakes, a lot of them being quite apropos at the moment, are they both in the same book, Peggy, or are they in the different books you've written? The six biggest mistakes are all in the same book. The five steps to clarity, is that in your other book or is that in the same book? That's in the six biggest mistakes. And then the other one we wrote was Divorce Taking the High Road, which was written actually by 10 certified divorce coaches. It was a collaboration among 10 people plus myself, and everybody kind of took a different angle on taking the high road. And it basically breaks down into two sections. One is changing your perception and changing the process, choosing a different process. So one is kind of process-focused, and the other is mindset-focused. And that's also true for children. You know, I was reading today 15 strategies for helping children through all of this. They make a big distinction between uh, emotionally-based solutions and problem-based solutions. And the emotional-based solutions are find a way to deal with the emotion, to either make the emotion work for you or to be able to move beyond the emotion, to recognize what it is, to name it, and then pivot, right? Shift your perspective, which is what we do as coaches, is help people shift their perspective. The other one is a solution-based focus, where you really focus on the problem and you try to solve the problem. So, you know, most of the work we do as coaches really focuses on helping you to shift your thinking, because you have control over your thinking. You don't have control over all of those circumstances. You do have control over your thinking. And so that is the one thing we can control. That's the good news. <laughs> I'm going to include details of the CDC program, which coincidentally has a name, the same initials as probably people at the moment are searching CDC all the time in the States, isn't it? Because that's the Center for Disease Control, isn't it, in the United States? Yes, it is. But you know what? We own the trademark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at metrics, but you'll be up there at the top down this month, Peggy. <laughs> I'll include the details of that with the show notes. And I also should mention, you've still got those great webinars on your website, don't you, Peggy? I do. Actually, every Wednesday, I'm doing one of those webinars. And our website is certifieddivorcecoach.com. And you can go on the free webinars tab and you can see when those webinars are happening. And people can sign up for those? They can register, sign up. Usually it's only, it's attended by a small number of people, mm. 10 at the most. And so there's lots of opportunity to ask questions and, you know, just get all of your questions answered or, or share insights or whatever it is that you want to do on. Well, that sounds fantastic. So I'll put all that information on the website with the show notes. Thank you so much for coming today and sharing your time with me and all your knowledge and identifying the very many parallels between what people are going through at the moment and separation and divorce. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if something in the episode has motivated you, 
I recommend that before you take any action, you get professional advice because the conversations are general in nature and not based on your particular situation. Please reach out to me if you have any questions or if there's another topic you'd like explored. And if you know someone who might benefit from the show, remember to tell them about it or suggest my Instagram or website, www.theseparationfix.com. Good luck being your best self today. Just know I'm out there too, trying as well.